If you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. I'm going to wrap up Philippians with you, and for the next few weeks, we're going to start to dig into uh, the Christmas story and the Christmas message. So this is Philippians chapter 4. The title of the message is The Ultimate Survival Principle. The Ultimate Survival Principle. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. The word of our Lord. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am. To be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, I pray, Lord God, that this, Lord God, passage would become a living reality into every one of our hearts, Lord God. Something that we experience, Lord God. Something, Lord God, that truly becomes extremely, Lord God, real and relevant, Lord God, and experiential in our lives, Lord God, until the day, Lord God, we go home to be with you. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would impress this word upon our hearts today, and Lord God, that you'd be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. How many of you like survival shows? How many of you are lying right now? Right, You don't watch any TV. I love real, great survival shows. I don't watch a lot of TV. For the most part, I think a lot of it's garbage and a waste of time. Uh, I do watch the news, uh, informational programs. But I do like, I do like, boy, Alone. I don't know if you've seen the show Alone. And, you know, they just, you're in the wilderness. And these people have to make shelters. You learn, right, how to make a shelter. You learn how to make a fire. You learn how to forge for food. Uh, you learn skills and abilities to keep your head when you're all alone and you're trying to survive and not lose your mind. Well, I believe the Apostle Paul was the ultimate survivalist. The ultimate survivalist. And I want to I want to read to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 29, just to show you what he survived and how he not only survived it, he thrived. Because I don't want to just be somebody who survives, I want to be somebody who thrives. So in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29, he says, are they servants of Christ? He's having this argument, this dialogue with the Corinthians. He says, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked hard, I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Don't you think, right, isn't he the ultimate survivor? Man, I see people in the church, they break their fingernail and they've had it. Right, there are people this morning, they couldn't get out of bed to worship the God who died on the cross for them. People experience the, the littlest problems, the littlest challenges and they run for the hills and they quit. Pastors. The average pastor lasts three to four years in churches across America. Why is that? Three to four, what, what type of a, I mean, you're moving your family every three to four years to another location? It's crazy. Why? And you know, as I 
am a pastor and I know pastors, it's because of the hardships, it's because of the difficulties, it's because of the challenges, it's because for the most part, we deal with people who come to us with problems. Rarely do we have somebody come to us and say, let me tell you how great my life is, right? We have people who come to us with problems. So you deal with a lot of stress, you deal with a lot of negativity. You deal with a lot of negative people. And, uh, you know, it, it, can get, it can get hard. But I think, again, most pastors, they quit. They run. Paul didn't. <laughs> Paul didn't run. And the key, the key word that I want to give you today is autarxies. You want to learn this word. Say autarxies with me. Autarxies. Autarxies is the ultimate survival principle. You know, it says the word of God is powerful, right? The word of God is living. The word of God is transformational. The word of God heals. The word of God creates. And I use, you know, words. There's some words like the word agape. You need to learn agape. Agape needs to be assimilated into your life. That's a, a key, a key living word that can transform your life. Genosco, right? We have a relationship of intimacy with God. That's what eternal life is. That's what salvation is. Here's a word that this word has, has transformed and, and changed my life. Otarxis. It's a life-giving word. It's a word of power. It's a word of strength. It's a word of, of joy. It's a word of peace. So when we dig into this passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, you get a, 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 a quick little picture. And I want to give you a quick little picture of Otarxes. Here Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. There's the word, Otarxes. It's translated here, content. He says, I know how to be abased. Do you know what it is to be abased? To be, to be abased is to be belittled, to be degraded. You ever have somebody degrade you or belittle you? They, they put you down. He says, I know, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. He says, uh, I know how to be put down, but I also know how to be lifted up. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. What does he say? I can accept all things. That's Eutarxis. I can accept all things. I can deal with all things. I can deal with whatever life throws at me, whether it's good or whether it's bad, without essentially losing it, without quitting, without giving up, without becoming cynical. Then in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I, I, I can accept all things, deal with all things. I can do all things. And essentially what that's referring to, the, the things that God has called us to do. And then in verse 18, he says, I have all things. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-swelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Again, he is saying here, I have all things. I have essentially everything I need. That is, that is you know, obviously what, what Paul is saying. So, you know, I can accept all things, I can do all things, and I have all things that I need for life. What is Paul saying? I am prepared. I am prepared for whatever life throws at me. I am prepared for whatever God calls me to do, and I am prepared for whatever the enemy throws at me. Now, in your Bible translations, whether you're using the New King James Version, we use the New King James Version here, the word utharxes is translated content. Again, Paul is saying, I accept all, I can do all, I have all. And they translate, again, that word utharxes is content, contentment. And if you look at the word, you know, contentment in essentially the English language, it means uh, a mental and emotional state of being satisfied. 
And you see people who are, you know, they'll say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm content. I don't need anything. I'm, I'm content. I don't want anything. You know, status quo Joe? Sorry, Joe, but status quo Joe? Or we'll call him status quo Mo? Sorry, Mo, but status quo. Just want to, I want to see, Paul was a man of wants. Paul was a man of goals. Paul was a man of objectives. Paul was a man with desires. And we saw that. We saw that when we look back in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, Paul says, I want, right? There's, there's an immediate nullification of the idea that, that contentment is not wanting anything. He says, I want. And he deals here with an internal want. You know, there are internal wants, and then there are external wants. Here's an internal want. I want to know Christ and the experience, uh, uh, the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the life. There's a, a clear picture. He wants this, this deep, intimate knowledge, this relationship with the Lord. And then notice what he says in verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. But remember, I'm not there yet. Paul's not there yet. Right? I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on, right? So he's saying, I want this deeper relationship with the Lord. Haven't got there yet. So I press on, right? I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul has autarxies. Right? He's got that autoxys. It's in his heart of hearts. I can accept all things. I can do all things. I have all things. But then he says, but there's still more right, that I am pursuing. There's still more that I'm pressing on to. See, I think that one thing that, that is important, this concept, again, autoxys, it's not saying, well, I'm just totally satisfied and content that, you know, I don't have any goals. I don't have any dreams. I don't have any desires. There's nothing I'm pursuing. But it's, it, it's also, and what Paul is saying here, a lot of people suffer from what, what I call destination disease. They're unhappy all the time. In fact, they're, they're miserable because they don't have what they want. I'm not where I want to be. I don't have what I want. My marriage isn't what I want it to be. I'm not married. I'm not in the place I want to be in my career. I don't have the net worth that I want to have. And they're absolutely miserable. Destination disease. And autarxies, autarxies, again, is not destination disease. It's being able to be joyful where you are, no matter what the circumstances are, but still have goals, and you're still pressing on to accomplish more. Do do, do you get that? So Paul, Paul had desires. Internal. I'll give you an external example of Paul's desire. In Romans chapter 15, 23 through 24, but now I no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire, right? There it is. These many years to come to you, right? I want to come to you. I want to come to the Roman Christians. I want to empower you. I want to equip you. I want to teach you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, right? Here's Paul's goal. He went to Asia Minor. He went to Greece, right? Rome. Now he wants to go to Spain. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on the way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. And that's a picture of an outer goal. Paul was ambitious for the kingdom of God. He had goals. He had objectives. He had a mission to plant churches throughout the world, and spread the gospel. So again, autarxies, when it's translated contentment, right, it's like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just content. I don't need to worship. You ever see people like that? I don't need to be in the fellowship worshiping on a Sunday morning. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just fine. I'm just content. I don't need to pray. I don't need to be in the Word. What do we call those type of people? What does the Bible call them? What did Jesus call them? Revelation 3, lukewarm, Laodiceans, right? Laodicean people, I'm fine, right? I don't have any great need. By the way, I think the Laodicean church is being left here behind when the rapture happens. 
I think that I don't think they're saved. I think I, I truly believe the pastor shows they're not saved because Jesus is on the outside of the church instead of the inside. I believe they'll be they'll be left behind. But that's you see that's not contentment. That's apathy. That's mediocrity. Otar Otarxes is not mediocre. It, Otarxes is not apathetic. Otarxes has goals. Otarxes presses on. But yet while it's doing that, it can enjoy the journey. It takes time to smell the flowers. It enjoys the blessings that God is pouring out upon it. So let me dig deep now because that was just the introduction. I want to share a couple of thoughts with you about autarkies. First one, autarkies means essentially equals contained. I believe that would be a far better translation than content, especially with, again, what content has come to mean. You know, languages change, words change. You know, if you lived in the 60s, right, or if you lived in the 50s and you said, there's a fox, right, you would think of a, a red fox. And if you lived in the 60s and you said, there was a fox, right, I grew up at that time, you were pointing to a good-looking woman, right? Language changes. Contentment has come to really kind of be associated with just apathy. So in, in, in Philippians 4 verse 11, Again, I'll read this to you. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, to be contained. I know, right, how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. Paul is saying here, I have learned how to be self-contained, self-reliant, self-resourceful. Whether I have much or I have little, whether right, I'm empty or I'm full, whether I've won the game or I've lost the game, whether it's a sunny day or a rainy day, I've learned, right, I've learned how to basically be self-contained, resourceful. And the resourcefulness, where did it come from? It comes from within, right? Resourcefulness comes from within. It's, it's an inner power. It's an inner strength. It's not being dependent on outer things. It's this internal, mental, spiritual, emotional state of well-being that is not dependent on happenings. Now, before you leave here, and some of you may be thinking, or some of you deeply spiritual people right now be, be, may be thinking, I'm ready to run out of here because what this pastor's teaching is nothing more than secular humanism. I don't know if that's going through your mind. Now, Gina, it's not. Okay. Two types of people. Two types of people. Thermometers and thermostats. Right? There is a thermometer. A thermometer does not control the temperature around it. It is controlled by the temperature around it. It is controlled by the environment around it. If it's hot, it's up. If it's cold, it's down. It's influenced by the things that are going on around it. There are people who are thermometers, and they lack the ability to change the temperature within themselves and around themselves. They are controlled by the environment. They are controlled by other people. They are controlled by circumstances. They are controlled by events. And they're constantly right up and down. They're up and down, up and down, hot and cold. You know people like this. They're, they're moody. If, if, you, if you ever say, you ever say, that person bothers me. That person really bothers me. They make me so angry. They irritate me. The truth of the matter is, you're letting them. I've been irritated. I've been made angry. I let them. I've let them make me angry. I've let them bother me. And essentially, I've given them the keys to my heart and given them control and power over my emotions. The thermometer person looks like that. They are at the mercy of other people. They're at the mercy of the events that are going on around them, the situations. 
They're easily manipulated. Listen, moms, dads who have young children, those little children will learn very quickly how to manipulate you if you let them. They will jump up and down. They will scream and yell. They will pout. They will jump on the ground and pound it with their hands and their feet. And once you start, right, to kowtow and essentially kind of give them what they want, they will learn how to manipulate you. Something sad. Some of those people, they grow up going through life like that, and that's what you have as adults. They think they can get whatever they want by whining, by crying, by pouting, right? But that's, again, that person, that person who allows other people, okay, to influence them, they are a thermometer. 95% of people, I believe, are thermometers. And I don't know if it's any different in the church, really. 95% of the people are essentially at the mercy and the control of other people. Events, circumstances. The thermostat regulates the temperature around it. It has the, the power to change the temperature, to influence right, the environment, to make it warmer, to make it cooler. A person who is a, a thermostat, essentially, they are an influencer. They influence the internal environment within them, and they influence the external environment. They have the ability, they have the power uh, to be able to control their inner temperature and then have that effect on their outer temperature. Essentially, they, they are contained. They, they are self-contained. They are autarxies. Paul, again, is the ultimate thermostat. You know what's interesting? Paul's with the Lord. Right, somewhere in that, in that third heaven. Right, that's where Paul is. He's up there. And you know what he's doing right now? He's influencing us. He's influencing us through this letter that he wrote. I understand the Holy Spirit was flowing through Paul, but Paul had to let the Holy Spirit work, just as we do. And he is still influencing people 2,000 years after going home to be with the Lord. But he is the ultimate thermostat. So here's a, a, a key thing. Again, the thermostat, self-contained. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. You will have more joy, you will have more peace, and you will have more influence in the lives of others. Number two, autarxies equals God-sufficient. So in Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about being God-sufficient. You see, the, the word autarxies was a word that Paul, Paul snatches this from the Stoic philosophers. You ever see somebody, they say, the person is Stoic. The Stoics were, they strove to be self-reliant, independent, self-resourceful. They essentially strove to be thermostats and not thermometers. But Paul, Paul, what he does here, he takes the word autarxies and instead of making it self-sufficient, the, pro the problem with self-sufficiency is that you become obsessed with yourself. You know what happens? The more you focus on yourself, there's a direct correlation. There's, there, there's no, no mistake about this. The more you focus on yourself, the more miserable you will be. People who are absolutely miserable, they're obsessed with themselves. They're always thinking about themselves, always thinking about, again, their wants. Their, they're, they're miserable. They're never happy. And that's, that's the point. If you ever see a, a person who they say is stoic, what do you see? You don't see this. It's all, you know what you're talking about. You see people like that? You meet people like that? I'm self-reliant, I'm independent, haven't smiled in 50 years. The Stoic. That's, that, that's the problem with, with Stoicism. You see, that's why when I was saying to you a few minutes ago, I said don't leave the church with what I'm talking about right now because some of you are probably sitting there going, geez, again, is, is he just going to talk about you know, what, what we can do in our own selves? No, it's, it's God-sufficient. 
It's, it's being, you know, God's sufficient. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The strength is from God. The power is from the Lord. It is he who gives us, right, the resources and all that we need to be and to do what he's called us to be and to do. So it's God sufficient. In, right, we're dependent on him, and it's essentially he, he lives in us, and it's his internal power that gives us the ability to be autarxies, to be self-contained, to be able to handle whatever life throws at us. So, you know, Paul, and boy, he, Paul goes through, I mean, boy, Paul went through a hell on earth. When, when he is given the 39 lashes, it's take the skin right off your back, sometimes even taking the muscles away until the person's organs were exposed. I don't think Paul got to that point, but Jesus empowered Paul and gave him the autarxies to be able to endure that and not become cynical. When Paul was in prison, same thing. He was able to endure prison, and God gave him, again, that, that autarxy's power to endure it. He's beaten with rods. Again, God gave him the power to be able to endure that, come out of it victoriously, and again, not become bitter, not become cynical. And again, you see the same thing when he's shipwrecked. He, he survives. Not only survives, he thrives. And, he, you know, he keeps, he keeps on going. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. He's got autarxies. He is God-sufficient with that strength and with that power that comes to the Holy Spirit indwelling him. The person with autarxies can essentially, again, they can endure all things. They can essentially survive all things. And they can thrive through all things. So I'm talking here about Paul. I'm talking about a man. Let's talk about some women. Joni Erickson. Joni Erickson is an example of a woman with autarxies. She was a young girl. She was uh, a diver. She dove. She hit the bottom of the pool. She was basically became a paraplegic. She's paralyzed from essentially the neck down. She has been an inspiration, a Christian inspiration to men and women. Right now going back, I think it has to be 50, 60 years, right, that she has uh, just inspired people. And I just want to read a quote from her. She said, God is more concerned with conforming me to the likeness of his son than leaving me in my comfort zones. God is more interested in inward qualities than outward circumstances. Things like refining my faith, humbling my heart, cleaning up my thought life, and strengthening my character. Joni Erickson. She's a wonderful artist. She, she paints with her uh, paintbrush in her mouth. And our art has sold right, uh, just millions, millions, and millions of dollars. So. But she's, a, she's an example. She's an example, again, of autarxies. I mean, somebody who goes through that, it's so easy. Most are going to become bitter. Most are going to become cynical. She didn't. She is an example of autarxies. Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom, her family was wiped out by the Nazis. They killed everyone. I think her sister survived with her. But... Um, a quote from Corrie Ten Boom, I have held many things in my hands, Corrie once said, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And again, this woman, one of the most inspirational Christians, really, in, in the last 100 years. But she, again, this incredible example, she had autarxies. Elizabeth Elliot. So Elizabeth Elliot, that's her husband Jim. They were newly married, and Jim went off to uh, Central America to bring the gospel to this tribe. And he and his uh, three missionary friends were all killed by the tribesmen, killed with spears. You could watch the movie. Well, Elizabeth Elliot, you think about this, how, mo how easy would it be to become cynical and bitter, and instead she went to those Indians and brought the gospel to them and led them to Christ. This is, this is her son with four of the men who killed his father who were led to Christ. Uh, three of those men, in fact, they all became believers, but three of them became essentially the pastors of the church there in the tribe. 
But Elizabeth Elliot, her son, I mean, again, they're, they're, they're examples of, of two people who had autoxies and were God-sufficient. God gives us the strength through Jesus to be able to, to accept all things, right? To be able to do all things. And he gives us all that we need to be able to be the person he's called us to be and do the things that he's called us to do. And there is, let me tell you, there is joy in autoxies. Whether you're empty or you're full, whether you're sad or you're happy, whether you're up or you're down. God gives us, again, that autoxies. Number three, autoxies equals God's resources. It's his resources, right? Not being self-resourceful, but essentially it's the resources of God that he pours into our lives. So there, essentially in, in, in Philippians 4 here, there are three resources that God gives to us. The first is God's providence. In verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, Paul is rejoicing. He's rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord greatly that essentially God provided for him and his ministry through the Philippians. They didn't have a chance to do that at first, but then they had the chance to do it. Essentially, uh, God is directing the ministry of Paul. And the word providence, this is a word, it was a very popular word that has been used by Christian teachers through the centuries, and it's something, you, you, when was the last time you heard a message on providence, right? Even, even from me. Uh, providence, the word pro means before, and then you have visio, and it essentially it means to see, and what it's essentially saying is God sees before. God, by the way, sees your tomorrow. He sees what you're going to be experiencing and living on Monday, but then it, it goes even a little bit further than that. God sees beforehand, but more than that, God is working in advance, arranging circumstances and situations to fulfill His purpose in your life. So God is God is in your Monday, and He's arranging things tomorrow. He's arranging the furniture, so to speak. He's arranging your week. By the way, I'll just say this to you: that's the story of my life. Some of you young people, you haven't lived, lived long enough to maybe stop and really look at that, but that is the story of my life. That God, God just was continuously arranging things beforehand. So there was a, there was a I'll give you this illustration. There was a, a time, I was in the fitness business, we got bought out, I was then running the fitness center for these two doctors, didn't get along with them, uh, and eventually, we had to we had to you know part ways. So I've got two kids, two daughters. My son Frank wasn't born yet, and um, I've got a house, I've got bills, I've got payments. I don't have a job, and um, that happened on Thursday, and it happened very abruptly. I wasn't I wasn't really thinking it was going to happen. So here I am in that situation. And by the way, we 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 had just started the church. My church didn't have money to be able to pay, you know, my salary. So, praying, kind of looking. In fact, I'm looking at, at jobs, and I was thinking, they'll go sell vacuums door to door. Do you need to do something? On Sunday night, I get a call from uh, a man. He ran a, another uh, fitness, a physical therapy center. He calls me up, and he says, do you know anybody who's looking for a management job? I said, yeah, Monday morning I was hired. Let me just tell you what that, what that man and how good that man was to me. I was working 45 hours a week. I built, I built his business for him. And um, when I said to him, look, I need to start to spend more time in the church as the church was growing. So he said, I'll pay you the same salary, but now you can go to 30 hours. And then six months later, I went to him and said, I'm going to have to cut back even more. He said, I'll pay you the same salary, but you're going to work 15 hours for me. And then when I came to the point where I said to him, listen, I, I need now to go full-time in the ministry, he said to me, I will, I will give you my business. All you have to do is just pay rent on the business. Give me the entire business. 
He had opened up a number of physical therapy centers elsewhere. By the way, I had to, I'm looking there and I'm saying, now the, devil, now the devil's tempting me. And it was, I had no desire to you know, stay in that business. And God called me. But just that is God just going before. And this is the story of my life. He's always, right, arranging things in my tomorrow. I don't, I don't know what those things will be. But I do make plans. I do set goals. The Lord, I think, a lot of times honors that. Go back to me. Uh, go back with me to Genesis and uh, Joseph, right? Chapter 37 through 50. Joseph is sold as a slave by his brothers, right? He's, he's sold uh, into slavery in Egypt. And then the brothers, these guys are wicked. They go to their father and say, Joseph, right? Joseph, who Jacob loved, he was killed by an animal and ripped apart. Here's his coat. They dipped it in goat blood and said, here's his coat of many colors. It's covered with blood. Breaks the heart. They break the heart of their father. I just really, I mean, talk about, these, those guys were scoundrels. And um, many years later, 13 years later, Joseph, right, he becomes the, the head of Potiphar's house. Then he ends up in jail. He becomes the head of the, uh, right, the, um, the prison, second in you know, command to the uh, warden. Then he becomes second in command of all of Egypt, right, under Pharaoh. And now his brothers are standing in front of him. Jacob has died. They're terrified. And I just want you to see, because here you see providence. Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse 20. He says to them, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. That's providence. You guys, you guys hot? Could we turn on uh, the AC? Guys in the sound room, get some air conditioning on and some fans on. So, again, it, it, this is a picture of providence. They meant it for evil, right? There are things, evil things happen to us. That, it, it doesn't, providence doesn't nullify evil. But God is working, right? Working all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. So here's another, we, we, Jehovah Jireh. You get into the root of the, of the Hebrew word. And Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh in the, in the Hebrew, it means the Lord will see to it. He will provide. He will see to it. Right again, his vision. He, he is already in your tomorrows arranging things. Look at what, what Jesus said in John chapter uh, 10, verse 3 through 4. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes where? Right, that's it. He's before you. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That, that is, again, that is autarxies. That is God's overruling providence in our lives. He goes before us. Will you sing that song, God will make a way where there isn't any way? Something like that, right? Haven't heard that one in a while. But um, that's the picture, God going before us to make a way. So he's already, he's already there in your tomorrow. First resource, right? God's providence. Second resource, God's unfailing power. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He strengthens us to do what he's called us to do. He strengthens us to be what he's called us to be. Whatever that may be. And that strength again, that, that gives us that power, that's autarxies. Autarxies to have joy in every situation. To have that power to do and again, to be what we need to be in every situation. But that strength, we have a responsibility to make sure we're connecting. If you, if you just think, I'm a Christian, but you're not doing what you need to do to be connecting with that strength, connecting with that power, it's not going to be flowing into your life. So John, John chapter 15 verse 5 makes this clear. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, and without me you can do nothing. Secret is to be abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? To remain in Christ, to be trusting Christ, to be in fellowship with Christ, to be in tune with Christ, to be walking with Christ, to be obeying Christ. He who abides in Jesus, notice what it, what it says here. He who abides in Jesus is going to abound in Jesus. They're going to bear, bear much fruit. There's going to be an abundance. And that's, again, that's the resource of strength. 
And you see that throughout the Bible. You can look at it in the life of David. You can look at the life of Elijah. You look at it at the prophets. You look at the apostles. Look at it at Paul. You need to connect. And you're not connecting. There's no power. And then the third, again, here, the third resource is God's unchanging promise. And in verse 14 through 20, you see this again, this, this promise. And again, it's reiterated in other places in Scripture. In verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Kind of sad. They were the only church that were supporting the ministry. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I want you to notice that, the fruit that abounds to your account. What is Paul using? He's using an illustration here that when you give, and you give with the right motives to the Lord, it's an investment. It's, he's saying it, it is essentially, it is accredited to your account. Storing up treasures in heaven compared to storing up treasures on earth. And then he says, it's the fruit that abounds. What is that talking about? That, that investment you make, it, it, it abounds, it grows. I found that to be very true in my life with the Lord. That the investments that Sue and I have made into the kingdom of God have paid incredible dividends. You know the rule of 72, compounded interest? I think God's got some rules that go way beyond the rule of 72. And then in, in verse, uh, 17, I'm sorry, verse 18, he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you. And then he says, a sweet-swelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. There again is, is the picture of giving. We are offering this sacrifice. When you give, it is your sacrifice that you're making that is, is well-pleasing. Just, just as all the sacrifices under the Levitical priesthood were sweet unto the Lord. Remember going back to Leviticus and Numbers, what we've covered. And it's pleasing to God. Isn't that our, our main goal? To, to please the Lord. And then he says in verse 19, and my God shall supply all you need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God, right, there's the promise. God will supply all your needs. When, when you are giving, right, and you're giving the right way, not giving out of duty or giving out of greed, right, you're, you're giving with the right motives unto the Lord he promised, by the way, he promises to meet all your needs, not your greeds. So through the years, people come to me for counseling, having financial problems. Really, if you are living right with God, you shouldn't be having financial problems. I really, I really do believe that. If, if you, if you are, are serving God, you are, you are giving to God, you are doing what is right, I don't believe you should be in a place where you're having financial problems. And again, I'm not talking about living a life of greed. I'm just talking about living a life, right, where he is meeting your needs. And that goes for not just financial needs, but your emotional needs and your spiritual needs. That he promises to be meeting those needs. And again, that, that is autarxy. So God's resources, God's providence, God's power, God's provisions. Utarxes. Last point. Utarxes equals being learned. It is something that doesn't just happen. It isn't something that God just drops on us. It is something that is learned. What does Paul say? Going back to verse 11 through 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. I have learned. In whatever state I am, to be content, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned, says it twice. I have learned and I know both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
The word, the word there for know is ido, and what it means is to behold. It means to, to truly, like, like it, this is something that now is in your heart of hearts. It's something that has become just something normal. It's, it's something that, you know, you, 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 it's habitual, right? It's something that you're just living every day to, to know, to truly know, right? And that's really, you don't really haven't learned anything until you truly know it. And Paul is talking about, now, autarxies is something that he has come to know. He, he is holding it. It's, it's in his heart. It's a part of him. It's something that, again, is, he is just experiencing and living every day. Now, watch. I want to show you something here. This is the, the four stages. Four stages of learning. Okay? Learn these. They, this will help you through life with everything. The first, the first stage is what is called unconscious incompetence. And unconscious incompetence is essentially you are incompetent and you don't know it. You are incompetent and you don't know it. And that could be, that could be look, that could be about, I mean, it could be, a, I, I taught, right, the principles of prayer. How many people actually understand the principles of prayer? I was teaching that on Wednesday. I think most people, you know, they're, they're, they're praying, not even, you know, going and doing what God has called them to do in the way that he's taught us to pray. It's this, uh, that, that's unconscious incompetence. Maybe you just learned something about, about giving and God's promises for those who are giving faithfully and according to his will that, you know, you may be in a place where you're just doing unconscious, unconscious incompetence. That could be about your finances. Could be about relationships. Could be about raising kids. Could be about all those things that we do every day. You're just unconsciously incompetent. About your body. Unconsciously incompetent people who are doing things, eating things, you know, not, not exercise. They're just unconsciously incompetent about health, vitality. The next stage is conscious incompetence. And conscious incompetence is where now you come to the awareness that you stink at something, that you're not good at something. Right, uh, 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 conscious incompetence. Now I know. I say I don't know how to pray. What did the apostles do? They realized they didn't know how to pray, and they went to Jesus and said, "Teach us how to pray." But uh, conscious incompetence. You know what? When you go from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence in the Christian life, that's a lot of the Holy Spirit's work. He's convicting you. He's he's making you aware that you know what you you, you are poor or you're just totally ignorant of certain things, certain principles, certain truths. So conscious incompetence, okay, we're now aware that we think. Maybe today you have become consciously aware of your incompetence to be able to experience eutarxies. You became aware, consciously aware of your incompetence to be able to be joyful when things are up as well as when things are down, when things are good as well as when things are bad. Conscious competence. The bridge between conscious incompetence and conscious competence happens. What is the thing that we have to do here to bridge the gap from conscious incompetence to conscious competence? You have to begin to practice. You have to, to go from conscious incompetence to conscious competence, you have to do. Right? You, have to, you have to, again, put what, and again, maybe the Lord's talking to you about prayer. Maybe he's talking to you about worship. Maybe he's talking to you about witnessing. Maybe, maybe he's talking to you about, about giving. It's, it's when you begin to practice those things that you then move to conscious competence. But here's conscious competence. You've got to be thinking about what you're doing all the time. You still haven't come to a place where it's truly learned. You've got to think about what you're doing. As you continue to practice in conscious competence, then you enter into unconscious competence, and that's where you do it, and you don't have to think about it. I don't, I don't need to think about writing out my tithe check every, every, I do it every other week. I don't need to think about witnessing to people. 
I don't think about, oh, you know what, I woke up today. Jeez, what do I need to do? I don't need to think about that I'm going to go, I'm going to get into the Word, and I'm going to get into prayer every morning. It's just, it's just habitual. The same thing goes with a lot of other things in my life, right? And, and they're, they're, they're the material things, the earthly things that, that we have to do, like managing finances, investing, taking care of health. You know, being the father, being the grandfather, being the, you know, the husband that I need to be. I don't need to stop and, and think, because I've been practicing a lot of the, now there are new things that I'm practicing that I'm in conscious competence with. But when you do something repeatedly over and over and over again, you enter into unconscious competence. That's where Paul is with autarxies. And that's why, that's why he can say, look, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm well-fed, whether I'm up or whether I'm down, right? Whether everything's going right in my life or everything's going wrong, I am autarxies. I am self-contained, right? I'm in this place where I can have joy. I'm in this place where I can have peace. And what a wonderful place to be because, you know, you don't know what life is going to throw at you. You don't know what's what, what what's the you know the next what's what, what's the next challenge down the road. But we can have autarxies through Jesus Christ. We can be thermostats, right, instead of thermometers. We could be God reliant instead of self reliant. God contained instead of self contained, and we could be in a place where all those resources, God's providence, His power. And his promises are flowing through our lives. And I want to just end with this one, this one word. Because, again, autarxies, and I started off the ultimate survival principle. To me, autarxies is the ultimate thrive principle. I'm, I'm not interested in survival. I'm in, interested in thriving. I want, to, I want to thrive in my life and the things that I am doing. So that is it, just we're all in. And that was, again, that's Paul. That's Paul. One word, autarxies, totally change your life. But of course, right, it's in Christ. It's in Christ. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you from the depths of my heart of hearts. I don't know when it was, Lord God, 40, maybe 35 years ago, when I, Lord, in my studies, the Spirit revealed this great truth to me, Utarxis. And Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, because Lord, it has brought tremendous blessing to my life and others' lives. I pray, Lord God, the same, that it would not be a word that would be forgotten, that today it wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, that it would be a word that people would take with them, Lord God. Because, Lord God, your word is so powerful. And when it's planted, Lord, into a heart, it germinates, and it produces a harvest and abundance 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. 30, 60, 100 times. I pray, Lord God, that, Lord God, we would take it today with us. Through your Spirit, through your Son, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.